people come to us and they say, well, I've got three different offers. What we want to have is a business model which is built around one core offer. That's one thing that's most directly aligned with purpose, vision, and mission. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. Last time, we had been talking about the structures and the frameworks that every business, online or even offline ones, have underlaying them and supporting them throughout the life of the business and the work that you do. And what we're going to be doing in the next coming episodes, especially this one and and the following, I think there's going to be like six or so. What we're going to do is to dive in a little bit deeper on each of the aspects that we cover in the Academy program that intersect with these structures and the frameworks. Specifically, we're going to be starting off today and next week looking at the results framework and the results structure and how it and its intersections with team and with profit cause a business to be scalable or not, depending on your situation and how you've got things set up. So let's talk a little bit more about this. So I have a question for you, Brian. Uh-oh. Am I in trouble? Not this time anyway. <laughs> you remember the Lego that we just built over the weekend? My, my very first like an adult Lego set that I've ever built of my own. I thought you said it was like your first Lego set period that you've ever had of your own. I I don't know if that's accurate. I can't remember, to be honest. Anyways, yes. Little kid, come on, five years old. I I can't remember. (laughs) I know that I got my first Lego set when I was three years old. Technically, it was Duplo, which is like the (laughs) predecessor version for Lego. And I know that because in grade six, I went to the citywide speech competition with a speech about how much I love Lego. I could recite it for you right now, but I think you should go back and ask your question about the Lego. Okay. And let, we're, for the rest of you, we are not getting into the whole Duplo versus Lego thing ever again. Because <laughs> she will just go on about it for a while. Anyway, uh-huh. so back to my question. So, you know, I, I actually really quite love this set. And yet I noticed yesterday that you were starting to reposition it where it was downstairs in the main sitting area. You know, right, that it's coming up here to my office permanently. I thought you said I wasn't in trouble. So why does it matter that I rearranged it? I'm not saying you're in trouble. I'm just saying you you do realize that it's coming up here. You don't get to make it part of the decor downstairs. I see. Well, once you get those shelves in the office that we've been talking about for a while, <laughs> sure, then you can have sure. your Lego set take up some of that space. <laughs> it's not that big. It's funny, though, that you, you talk about Lego because, you know, one of the things that I find so interesting about Lego is kind of how the the company came to be. Lego is the biggest toy company in the world right now. Like literally most revenue, they're in the most stores. They started off actually as just a small family owned business in Denmark making wooden toys. And like there's a, a little wooden duck on wheels that was like one of their classic toys. And then they decided to try making these plastic bricks. They called them automatic binding bricks. And because that's a good name. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So for anyone who thinks that the name of your product matters about whether or not you can become like a billion dollar business, it didn't matter for Lego. 
So anyway, the general response in the market was no one is going to want plastic toys. And yet when Lego went and actually looked at their revenue and what was working in the business, they actually realized that these plastic bricks were the most successful product that they had. But at this point, they were still a small family-run business. They weren't a brand. They just were in this little town in Denmark. They really didn't have much of a footprint beyond that. And so what they decided to do was they decided they were going to get rid of everything except the plastic brick. And they were going to go all in on it. And you can look back at the history of the company and trace back their ascent to being the global superpower that they are right now back to that decision that they made, which was to go all in on the plastic brick and create the Lego system. And even decades later, you, know, you get to the mid 90s and Lego had started to split off into all of these different streams. They had you know, the theme parks and the, this was before the movies, but clothing and this, that, and the other thing. And they had tried splitting off in all these other directions and they almost went bankrupt. And again, they came to this question of what can we do to save the company? What do we need to do? The decision was, again, we need to strip it back. We need to go back to the brick. And let's be honest, they then created a partnership with Star Wars and Lucasfilm around the Phantom Menace and the rest is history, as they say. But I love that story, not just because it's about Lego, but because it's about the power of one of the most important things in creating a scalable business, which is having the right scalable core offer and the right scalable business model. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we hinted last time when we were talking about scalable profits and results that you can't just pay attention to each of these areas, results and profit and team independently, but you have to address how everything fits together. And this is a great example, actually, about looking at profit and results yeah. and that leading to talking about the model, which is exactly why we're here today. Exactly. We want to talk about what does it look like to have a scalable model? How do you know if you've got a scalable model? How do you even know if you're trying to scale the right thing? And so I think where we should start with this conversation is to start with this idea of what even makes a business model scalable? Or maybe it's easier to take it from the other side and say, how do you know if you've got an unscalable business model. And and Jill, you see this a lot with our clients. They come in and they're like, I don't know how to scale. And the first thing that you look at with them is, okay, is your business model fundamentally scalable or not? Yeah. And for many of them, it's often that they are just so intrinsic in the offer itself that they're down in the weeds all the time, right? This is, we were talking about this in like, I think it was the first episode is one of the factors that you can identify yourself as needing to look at your model and leading to look at scalability is if you're stuck in the weeds doing the day-to-day all the time and not having the time to even just pull back and look at the business as a whole, never mind have time for yourself outside of the business. I think one of the good things to consider when we're talking about the business model as a whole and why we get so busy, why are you so stuck in the day-to-day? One of the factors that becomes so key in this is how much are you actually trying to do, right? What is it about having all of those different offers, all of those different things you sell? Why is that a problem? Why does that get people in the day-to-day so much? 
let's go back to Lego, right? They had all of these different streams. They had the wooden blocks or down in the 90s, right? They had the, the theme parks and all of this and that. The more things you have, the more, A, the more hats you have to try and juggle, but B, the more audiences you have to speak to, the more processes you have to create because not everything is going to follow that same path. Yeah. Think of it kind of like the difference in water when it runs through the dirt or when you're looking at a river versus a delta as it comes out to the mouth of the ocean. It spreads out. It gets really thin. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see the flow of it when it's really like a fresh new track has been drawn in the river. That's very fast, very narrow. It gets further much quicker. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I think it's Angela Loria that says in... Uh, I think it's in her book, Make Them Beg to Be Your Client. She says, having four different offers, and I'm paraphrasing, I might not get the quote exactly right here, but having four different offers is like running four different businesses because mm-hmm. the financials are different, the staffing is different, the process is different, the marketing is different, the sales is different. And so you end up splitting your attention between all of these different things and not just your attention, but you have to split your marketing focus. Are you speaking to this audience or that audience? And, and take that the next level up, and we can start to work in what we call the cloud of confusion. When you're putting out all these different messages, how does your audience know what it is mm-hmm. that you're actually trying to do and what you're asking them to, to rely on you for? Yeah. Early on in your business, when you're just figuring things out. Experimentation is the name of the game. You need to be putting out different offers. You need to be speaking to different markets. You need to be trying different things. And I think what happens is that we get to a point in business where it's okay, I want to keep growing. I want to keep scaling. And we go to what we know. And what we know is, well, if I want to make more, I need to create a new offer. I need to not up-level my offer, I need to change something. And this ends up, as one of our clients experienced, you know, when they came to us, the the record we'd seen, Jill, is how many different things that they had sold in a 12-month period? 32. I think it was 32 or 34. Four. Yeah, one of the two, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, 32 or 34. Not that it's much different at that scale. (laughs) I mean, that's an extreme. What we often see is people that come to us and they say, well, I've got three different offers. I've got the done for you, (laughs) high-end, VIP, high-touch version. And then some people aren't ready for that. So for some people, then we have the middle option, which is kind of a done with you option. And then we also have the DIY version for the people who aren't really ready for us and you know they can't invest in our other two programs. And so I, I've got all of these different things, but I, I really don't know what's going on here. And, and they think that's the way it has to be. But what I see when someone says that is, okay, you've got three different offers. You just told me they're for three different audiences. You've just told me that they are all delivered in three different ways at three different price points. So what you're telling me is that you're choosing to work three times as hard for something that may or may not be the best way to get your client results. Yep, exactly. And may or may not be aligned with what it is that you wanna actually be doing in the world at all with your business anyway. You don't want to have a bunch of different offers. You don't even necessarily want to have three offers. What we want to have is a business model which is built around one core offer. That's one thing that you can market and sell, one thing that you can deliver, one thing that you're putting out to the audience, one audience that you're cultivating. But 
that one thing can't just be any old thing, right? It has to be the thing that's most directly aligned with purpose, vision, and mission. Yeah, exactly. Because if it's not aligned, then when you get up to do this work, you're doing the work to do the work. And that is draining. Yeah. If you're already in the day-to-day, you're already down stuck in the weeds, just getting up to do more work because you have to work sucks. When it comes to having and choosing one core offer, a lot of people find this very challenging because they're looking at it from the perspective of, well, how can I make the most money fastest? And the way that they think they're going to do that is by putting out a whole bunch of different products to a whole bunch of different people so they can get results for a whole bunch of different people. But as you said, with the example of a delta instead of a river, all they're doing is spreading out the results. So the results that your clients are getting are much thinner because Mm -hmm. you're not actually going all in on creating the best result the best way to get that result for the people that you are most able to get the result for, which by the way, is what your mission is all about to be the best at what you do for the people you do it for. Exactly. And that's why you started doing this in the first place. Exactly. And so like the question then comes to this whole idea of what is my core offer? How do I choose it? Yeah. Let's just give a really clear definition of what a core offer is. So what we said before is that a core offer is the thing that your business model is built around. It's the thing that you are going to scale that's going to carry your business forward. It's where you're going to put all of your time and attention. And for us, what that looks like is one thing that you market and sell, though you may deliver it in multiple chunks. So some characteristics of a scalable core offer are that number one, it's one thing that you market and sell. So you're not going to market with three different offers. You're not going to market with 34 different offers. You're going to the market to one audience and you're saying to that audience, this is the thing that we can help you to do. This is the product that we have. This is the way that we help you get results. So it's one thing that you market and sell. It may be delivered in components, usually no more than two, which we would call a front end back end style core offer. Or it might be something where you sell someone into it and then they continue to be enrolled in it time after time, because that's the other feature of a scalable core offer is it's something that allows for repeat buyers. And let's be careful about the language here because it's about choosing your core offer, not creating a core offer. Yeah, exactly. Because we do not want to, as I've put before, and and the phraseology works really well here, you do not want to recreate the wheel. So, you know, you, you made a really good point when you did the definition there, because you can't choose, as you said, you can't choose a core offer until you know what the definition is. I'm going to take it one step a little bit broader, though, and talk a little bit also about the core transformation, Mm. which is embodied in the core offer. The core transformation is what happens for your clients as they move through the core offer, right? Some people might call this the customer journey. We call it the core transformation because often when people talk about the customer journey, they're talking about multiple programs and multiple offers. When we're talking about the core transformation, we're talking about the transformation that happens in the core offer. Yeah, exactly. And not just, 
I won't say not just in the core offer, but more importantly, in the lead up to the core offer and into in through then the core offer itself. Right. Because you always start off by talking about your clients and looking at your clients before they actually ever become your clients. We always talk about approaching people in our marketing. When we're talking about approaching people in our marketing, we're talking about looking at them and where they're at at that time frame. And that time, they are in what we define as being an undesirable reality. Yeah, and we'll give a shout out there because that terminology comes from the jobs to be done world. So if you're familiar with the jobs to be done theory, this idea of the undesirable reality comes from there. And that's where that terminology comes from. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's pretty self-explanatory. It's, it's the reality in which you do not desire to remain in. So, mm-hmm. Brianne, if you can actually for our audience here, can you tell us what the undesirable reality is for our clients as right. an example? I think it's important as I'm doing this too to recognize the undesirable reality doesn't have to be pain. It has to no. simply be that they're not where they want to be. So I could describe the undesirable reality for our clients in two different ways. I could say they're making low to multi six figures and they're working too hard to make that much money and they're burned out, they're overwhelmed, they're overworked and they cannot figure out a way to get themselves out of the day to day because they're losing their sanity entirely. That would be one version of the undesirable reality. And that would be a pain focused version. I could also do an undesirable reality, which sounds something like they're low to multi six figures. Things are going well, feels like things are humming along, but they're worried that if they were to try and bring on more clients or if they were to turn their marketing back on or you know they were to continue to try and grow their business, that they would end up burned out. And what they really want is a way to scale their business without losing their sanity and without being in a place where they're giving up their quality of life. Exactly. And we have had people in the past go, but aren't those two different audiences? And no, they're not. They're actually the same audience. It's just, as you said, coming at it from that slightly different perspective. Yeah. And so that's where we start. And then I always like to, I, I'm a bookender. I like to have the beginning and an end. And then we talk about the middle because I'm a queen of context. Um <laughs> I am. I love my context. Give me some context. I know. I'm good. So once you have your undesirable reality, then you need to focus on what is the ultimate result that your clients want to achieve? What are they wanting? What are they dreaming? Where do they want to end up in their business and in their life? Yeah. And this is going to be like big picture, right? Not just where it's really important. This isn't just where do they want to be at the end of the program? This is Mm -mm. where do they want to be? as a result of this journey that they're on. And this is why I really like the verbiage of core transformation, because it's about what do they want to be at the end of the transformation that you are, are guiding them through, that you are leading them through. And so for our clients, an example of what they might want their ultimate result to be is that it would be a situation where they have a million or multi-million dollar business where everything in the day-to-day is taken care of. They don't have to worry about it. They can just parachute in and show up, do their thing, and have complete confidence that the business is going to keep growing. It's going to keep getting better. Clients are getting amazing results. They've got a world-class team, and they're able to focus on what they do best, how they do it, when they do it. It's really building this lifestyle that they want for themselves while having a massive impact to the tune of hundreds or thousands of clients maybe instead of just the three, five, 10, 20, 100 that they can have right now. Yeah, exactly. And so now we've got the front, the beginning and the end of our core transformation. So what helps you then pick 
your core offer next. I think it's really important here to say that, the again, the core offer is not the thing that gets them to that ultimate result that they want, because getting someone from 200000 to a million dollars or multi-million dollars, in my experience, that's often too big a dream for people to really wrap their heads around. When mm-hmm. I've been talking with prospective clients, when I've been talking with our clients and I ask them, what's the goal that you're setting for yourself in the next six or nine months? They'll often say, well, I'm at two or 300,000, I wanna to get to 500,000. That's like the marker in their mind of that's a realistic next step. So the ultimate reality that they want, if I were to promise them that, it would ring as false. It would ring as not possible, especially when we're painting this picture of, and you can get there with amazing client results and not being in the day-to-day and being able to take vacations and having a team that just takes care of anything. That becomes so idealized, even though we know that's possible. We can't market that or people's spidey senses go up and start like (laughs) being like, no, this is just not possible. Or at least it's not possible for me. And that's where we need to refine it down to be able to say, that's what our whole core transformation is. So our entire core offer, yes, gets people there. But the result that we actually want to sell people on is something that is for them believable, which for us is what we call, or what from jobs to be done theory is called the first victory. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to analogize it, is that even a word? If you want to put an anal- if you want to put an analogy to it, then think of it kind of this way. And this is the way I like to describe it to our clients as well. Is that if your undesirable reality is the start of Act One in a play, and your ultimate result is the end of Act Five, then the end of Act One is where your first victory comes in. That is the first time they have made definitive progress towards yeah. that goal. They've, right? they've actually seen a result. It's not the ultimate yeah. result, but they've had a victory. They've had a win. For our yeah. clients, you know, they're coming at this and saying, there is no possible way that I can scale without burning out or losing my integrity. And so the first victory that we have to get to is actually, I see exactly how this thing can scale. I know exactly what my core offer has to be. I know exactly how I need to deliver it. I know exactly what kind of team support I have. And I've got all of these pieces together. When they have that first victory, I remember Gemma went saying, I didn't think this was scalable. And now I see exactly how it can scale. It's such a perfect statement of our first victory. And yes, you have to get that first victory before you actually achieve your multi-million dollar goals. You have to figure out how to scale it before you can actually achieve that. That's why the first victory is so important. Yeah. Or as a consultant of ours once said to us, Luke Skywalker has to get off Tatooine before he can worry about destroying the Death Star. Exactly. Luke wasn't worried about, you know, blowing up the Death Star and the Empire and all of that in the original Star Wars, right? The call to adventure was not him being like, oh, gotta like defeat Darth Vader. I'm gonna like go and get into a lightsaber (laughs) battle with him. That was not even on his mind. His only real goal, if you look at it, his only real goal was I gotta get off this dusty rock. (laughs) So, you know, we talked about the undesirable reality, the ultimate result, and the first victory. And so let's circle it back. You gave the example at the beginning of those three offers, the DIY, the DWI done with you, and the DFY done for you. And we've had people come in, they've said, well, I've got these three offers, which one do I scale? And when you actually stand back and you have a look at it, even when you don't stand back all that far, they actually have all the same offer. It's just delivered three different ways. Right. Right. So you've got the same undesirable reality, 
They've mm-hmm. got the same desire or ultimate result. And they've even got the first victory as the same. But what yeah. they've done is they've complicated what should be one core offer. And they've complicated it because it's more than one thing to market, sell, and deliver. And so that's why the characteristic of a scalable core offer and a scalable business model is it's one thing that you market, sell, and deliver, which takes people through a core transformation from undesirable reality through first victory to ultimate result. And what is interesting about that, the other characteristic we talked about, was the ability for people to become repeat buyers. That's a key characteristic of a core offer. And so when you put this into this core transformation framework, what we're really talking about is you enroll people into a product or a program or a service that is designed to get them to the first victory. They get a result. They get something awesome out of it. But then you give them the invitation that if they want to, they can choose to re-enroll to make continued progress toward their ultimate reality. They can say, act one was awesome. I want to do act two and act three and act four and act five. And ideally, acts two through five are one product, not a bunch, because otherwise you get into this same headaches of having like too many moving pieces. Or, you know, as you said before, maybe it's a recurring, like a subscription type thing, and it's a matter of leveling up every month to the next level. Yeah. Right? There, there's any number of ways you right? can look at it. When you talk about memberships, continuity and getting people yeah. to stay in is so important. So you don't want them to feel like they're just treading water and spinning their wheels and not moving forward. You want them to feel like they're making progress toward an ultimate result. So whether yeah. you have this kind of front end, back end model where it's like you get the first victory, then you put them in your back end program, which takes them toward the ultimate result or you have this membership model where it's like their first whatever the membership period is the first month or the first 90 days is supposed to get them a particular result and then you want them to keep feeling like they're making progress toward that ultimate reality the transformation is the same and again it's one core offer that you're Mm -hmm. delivering in one way to be able to get people from where they are to where they want to be in a way that's scalable yeah. I actually have a really good example of that subscription piece that you were just talking about there, Brianne. I was on a coaching call with one of our clients actually just this morning who has a life coaching business. Her front end offer, the first 90 days, is essentially a self-audit to get them unstuck mm-hmm. from where they're at, their mindset, all of the things that are holding them back from moving forward. And then we were talking like, what does it look like to enroll them into a back end? And really at that point then it becomes this rolling engagement of let's continue to level you up and keep you from getting stuck again yeah because as humans it's really easy for us to get stuck on our own things that are going on in our lives yeah and so it goes from being it goes from being a reactive piece to being a preventative piece in this case and you can see how that starts to grow and build yeah and Really, again, what we're talking about here is the first step, if you will, to creating something that can scale, to having a model that can scale. It's a model that consists of a core offer. And we talked a lot about how it's the one thing that you sell in market. We talked a lot about the core transformation. At the end of the day, what we're talking about is a container that you're going to sell to a client that is designed to get a specific result and 
then the second piece of it is to do it in a way that is going to also be profitable while generating that result. But that's what we're going to talk about in our next episode is shifting from like the big picture of what is a scalable business model to saying, okay, now when I look at the individual delivery pieces within that, how do I actually make sure that my delivery is scalable and that I don't have to customize it for everyone that comes through? Yeah, exactly. And so that'll be on our next episode coming out next week. And in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day and we look forward to seeing you soon. We'll see you next time on the next episode of the Visionary CEO Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started.